0: HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Lefty's Construction Mart, where this week we have some back-to-trade school savings for our future workforce. First up is our big book of rule of thumbs. This is a no-brainer for newbies that helps keep your answers in the ballpark, even if you can't find your seat. Next is the Trap Keeper Junior. This is not to be confused with a legendary trapper keeper from the 80s. This simple muzzle-like device allows youngsters the chance to listen twice as much as I speak. And there's a special bonus setting for a questions-only mode. Also available for those more experienced job site blabbermouths is the Trap Keeper Sr. Stop on by and get these items today before they're all sold out at Lefty's Construction Mart. <laughs> Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week, I'm either sharing information and lessons learned from the field or talking with industry experts. This week's topic comes from an article that I saw in High Performing Buildings Magazine titled, Green Roofs, Blue Roofs. You know, I've experienced a lot of green roofs before, but I had never heard uh, the phrase blue roof. So I, I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Um, You know, it's been a while since I've designed anything, but I've, you know, I'm like, did I miss a new trend in plumbing design? So uh, let me tell you what a little bit what I found. So in regards to the article, um, these type of roofs, we're going to focus mostly on flat roofs. Um, They might be uh, low sloped, but in general, we're talking about flat roofs that we can be able to mount uh, these green roofs on or uh, do something with a blue roof. And I'll explain exactly what is which in a second here. Just a, an added bonus is that uh, this is really all about storm management or mitigation, and you know it, it's when you when you do design, uh, you have standardized rainfall rates uh, in your local area uh, or wherever you're designing your building, so you'll be able to take those and you know that on average. You know, there might be rain incidents here and there. Uh, it's not the light rains. It's not the mild rains. It's the severe rains that you really want to focus on when you're talking about roof design, and that's really where these target. Um, these are different types of solutions for those type of environments. Uh, one obviously is green, and it's more of a, a vegetative, um, and that's really what that green means. It's some sort of vegetative solution that's going to retain water. Uh, you're going to have soil. You're going to have green uh, compounds and things like that, um, compounds, green plants. And the other one is, uh, is blue. When you talk about blue, you're talking more about uh, detention or harvesting systems. Those are the kind of the two varieties. That's green versus blue. So why would somebody use a green roof? Now, uh, green roof, some of the advantages are you can reduce the heat island effect if you're not familiar with the heat island. What the heat island does is um, when you have a lot of uh, buildings in an area, uh, what they've determined is if they all have real dark roofs, you get an abnormal kind of microclimate around those areas. So you want to be able to kind of mitigate that. Uh, intensity that heat intensity that goes around. Uh, you want to be able to kind of reduce that. Again, that's something that the the green roofs do really well. Um, it provides habitat uh, for some of the, you know, whatever animals or insects, you know, beneficial insects I should say. Um, you don't necessarily want the detrimental insects in there, but you know, I mean, like bees and birds and you know things like that. They'll actually provide a habitat for those type of animals. And it really uh, kind of boils down, a lot of it has to do as far as pros being and some sort of aesthetic benefit uh, to the building occupants, as well as, uh, you know, it's not, you can't forget the adjacent uh, building occupants. So other people are looking down on somebody else's roof more than likely. Uh, and if it is a nice environment, it it adds to their productivity. So even though they didn't necessarily pay for the view, it's it's better than looking at a uh, you know a bunch of fans and a cooling tower or a chiller or what have you. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean who wouldn't want to look on a roof like that but you know sometimes they just want green. All right, so the we going over to the blue pros. Um, so what are some of the advantages there? Uh, water reuse is the big one. Whether you use it for reusing the water for toilets, urinals, or irrigation. That was a lot of what um, they talked about there. And it's also compatible with solar arrays. Um, Very, very important if that's something that you want to do in the future. You don't want to kind of eliminate. If you do that with a green roof, um, obviously the the roof trays are are going to be a little bit um, tough to maneuver around. So, In the importance of of stormwater management, I just kind of want to bring up this, and it really is at the source of of all that we're doing here, is that uh, cities and jurisdictions, um, sometimes they have a couple problems. They have a couple problems with the overflow, and again, that's with the the peak storms that we're talking about. Uh, So what they do, and there's kind of two problems, and one is uh, with just kind of um, you know, generally speaking, the, uh, you know, overflow of the storm, like, like their storm system can't literally handle all the, the, all, the, all the water at one time. Or you have situations uh, in more uh, antiquated systems where you're going to have a combined sewer and storm. Um, if you're not familiar with that, that's basically in the old days – um, different systems; they combine both the storm and the sewer together at a certain point. Um, a lot of times, they might be even even coming out of buildings or houses uh, separately, but when they get to the street, they've joined them into a single pipe. Um, obviously, the problem is is that most people can you know this this the sewage is one load in that system, um, and that's pretty you know consistent day to day. There might be some you know. Uh, slugs but it's just you're, you're going to be able to handle that and on average uh, you're going to be able to handle some you know mild to moderate rainfall and that's not going to be an issue to the system the problem with these combined steward uh, and storm systems is that when they get a lot and when they get a large rain event um, they have nothing nothing they can do except let it overflow and that's a problem um, because. Typically when I say overflow, you're like, Matt, where where is this overflowing to? Well, unfortunately, it's it's you know, any sort of river, any sort of body of water that's nearby, that's where they're gonna have this overflow to, which is kind of gross, but you know, that's the way the systems are designed. Um, and, you know, they try to, they've tried to, uh, you know, in some, you know, some certain circumstances, they've tried to separate this out, the storm and sewage, um, and, you know, create a separate system for that. And, you know, that sort of alleviates a lot of that problem, but it still exists. So if you didn't know that happens, um, you can, like I said, you can have two pipes, one for storm, one for sanitary coming out of a building and they go into the same pipe and you're like... What? It, it happens like that. So that's, that's the um, combined storm and sewer. All right. So I guess one, one important point is even if they're separated and they do have the uh, overflow, um, that's still not going to be okay because they still do some sort of treatment on the, uh, on the uh, uh, stormwater side. They're, they're able to kind of treat that and kind of look at that and analyze that before they let it go uh, back into the environment. When they have the overflow events, you're picking up everything, everything from road salt to, you know, different chemicals that you're spraying on, uh, you know, uh, different plants, uh, fertilizers, etc. Everything goes into the storm sewer and then that overflows into the, uh, you know, the the local um waterway and that that can cause problems too so it's just just because they have a separate system doesn't mean that this isn't a really important thing to focus on uh, so what you find out is that um that's so that's some of the importance of storm water management now when we talk about green roofs um, some may, people might say that there is a a model, modest insulating effect uh, but it's it's really quick to point out that you know the insulation value that you get from something like that you really could add um, it really wouldn't cost you that much to add more insulation to a roof and um you know put a high albedo now i'm trying to get that right cuz i've i've pronounced it albedo 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 anyway it's a white roof so a lot of a lot of uh you know, if you if you if you've been doing lead design at all, um you're very familiar with the your very white PVC looking roof um that that are out there. They're very slick and slippery. Uh but um that's that's one way to kind of reduce that heat idling effect because if it was darker, it'll absorb more of the heat and it would radiate and that's something that they're trying to trying to reduce and eliminate. However, I will I will throw this in there. Obviously, you need depending on where you're at. You need to understand if a white roof ex- is exactly what you want. If you're in a heating dominant climate, you may not get all the benefits from a white roof. You may have actual more benefits uh, from a darker roof. Uh, so you need to account for that, or at least talk to your architects and figure out exactly what is the the best type of roof for your environment. The uh, the other benefit uh really besides you know obviously insulation we talked about that it's really not that not that great uh, the, one of the main benefits is again this this biophysical benefit this you know if you use it if you if you're able to see the roof if you're able to to walk on the roof for you know a break time um or if you can see the roof from from other buildings there's going to be that productivity gain and again if that's you know that that that's really nothing to um you know just disregard uh, flippantly. You know, you need to be able to take a look at that because obviously remember some of the productivity discussions we've had in previous episodes that, you know, productivity, if you increase productivity a little bit, it just eliminates, you know, it, it trumps and totally overtakes any sort of savings that you would get by removing that from, from – uh, 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 removing the green roof from the project. Now, the blue roof, uh, really, it's uh, the simplest way is to, uh, uh, to use flow control on drains. Now, this is kind of where, when I was reading the article, it really piqued my interest because I had never, never heard of flow control for roof drains. You know, you just, you know, you took the area of the, of the roof, you sized it for the rain event, and, you know, that's it. You know, you put in a secondary storm drain that was uh, larger, and uh, you called it a day. So this is, uh, you know, it's so kind of prevalent uh, or is so simple. And it's been around a while. And, you know, that's where I got to talking to, uh, t- to different engineers and different uh, uh, manufacturers' reps. Because, I mean, there's, there's the, the, the basic systems, um, you know, the stormwater management strategies. You have, you know, rain barrels. You have roof cisterns. Um, you have the green roofs. Um, you know, you can, you know, I guess in some, some locations disconnect the downspouts. Um, other things are a, you know, bioretention. We're talking about a vegetative, you know, filter strip, permeable pavement, enhanced grass swale, dry swale, perforated pipe systems, um, all these different types of stormwater management systems. But the, the simplest was this flow control drain. So... You know I had to do some digging and investigation on what exactly this is um, you know is is all about um i, I will I will leave you that the um, the rainwater harvesting, which I'm not really going to talk to uh, too much further, um, which is is one of the benefits uh, of using a, a green roof and it's kind of more of a cistern kind of thing um, the water that you can uh, harvest on a on a um, on a basis. Yearly basis for some of these buildings, Um, they really analyzed it and it really was beneficial. I mean, if you're going to have significantly offsets the potable water demand for toilets, irrigation, you know, urinals, things like that, um, that you don't need the potable water for, so it's something to definitely definitely think about. So, let me get. uh, I talked to uh, one of my engineering buddies, and I picked his brain about these, you know, these blue roofs. And really, what it boiled down to was he really didn't do a lot with the blue roofs. And that's, you know, you have to think of the location. Um, this came up again and again. It's very location based, it's a very regional thing. Um, and in the Cleveland area, um, northern Ohio, uh, it's really not something that they see a lot of. So, you know, one of the a couple of things that he thought about there's, there's some liability involved uh, because you're asking the roof material and and i guess the the easiest way to talk about these flow control drains is that there's a little kind of uh dam there and there's kind of weir holes in this dam and you're able to kind of dial it in and basically what you're doing is you're using the roof as a pond you know some roofs don't need that help but you know, on these roof control, these flow control devices, it actually lets the water pond up um, a couple of inches. And that was one of the things he's like, you know, what I really I don't have a good feeling about um, the roof material uh, being able to sustain this kind of load over any period of time. And that might be something that that would be interesting to talk to some roofing manufacturers and see what they have to say about you know water retention on the roof, you know, using that as a strategy. Uh, they might say, you know, hey, whoa, no, you know, you'd void the warranty if you use it like that. Um, also, you need to know uh, and you need to calculate with the structural engineer uh, because you're going to have that additional uh, load on the roof. So, uh, and, and also he pointed out you still need a secondary storm system. So you don't really get away with eliminating a set of, of pipes coming out of the building. On the green side, um, you know, he pointed out, you know, you have to have the right type of drain bodies, and also with lead, you don't, you're you're not supposed to have any sort of permanent irrigation, and also it's a very very large target when you're going through the value engineering exercise, and it's very, you know, something that, you know, again, you're you're just looking at the benefits of it, you know, a lot of people just just drop that. And say you know what it's really not that important, yeah. But there again, productivity, you know, could potentially trump that. I don't, I don't think they look at that uh, too much, you know, or as or as much as they should. And again, you know, I've had some experience with green roofs a little bit, not not so much in design. Uh, there's one design in particular that I was involved with one one project where I was involved with on the commissioning side, um, and it wasn't really a green roof more or less. It was a lawn over. Um, Kind of some mm-hmm. rooms, so but there there's still you know some issues if you're going to put dirt over a structure, um, you know it's kind of like some buried classrooms is really what it what it boiled down to. But there's some tray systems. Um, typically, you're going to have uh, these trays of a certain size there and they're going to interlock and fit together. You don't want them flying off during a wind event, Um, but they're going to stand off and that's where the drain bodies, you know, picking the right drain bodies. You don't want those interfering with the type of uh, green tray system that you're going to be using. And most of them are tray systems. It's not, it's not like they're planting a field on top of a roof. It's just, they use these, you know, four inch deep, you know, tray systems or whatever, whatever the, the um, dimensions are. But, you know roughly speaking they may be like four to six inches um, and they're very you know low maintenance plants but they're still they're not no maintenance plants uh, and that's where a lot of the the extra you know maintenance and importance of you know uh, the expense of maintaining and keeping that green roof over a long period of time then I uh, so I am like okay so that's the engineer's perspective. What about a, what about a manufacturer's rep? What do, what do they say about this roof control, this flow control roof drains? Now, um, the local rep uh, said, you know what? In the 26 years that I've been doing this, he's, I might have sold him like three to four times. So it really was something that just is not, is not used in these areas. Um, And they have to be set right. Uh, The weirs have to match the load, the roof load. And that's something that's very important. Um, And then he also mentioned uh, siphonic roof drains, which, again, is something that I really haven't been exposed to. um, And which kind of uh, the advantage of siphonic roof drain systems is that you actually have uh, smaller piping, um, but it's still not very common. So... I went from the manufacturer's rep to talk to the engineering department over at, at a manufacturer. Um, so this is uh, Chris over at JR Smith. Thank you very much for, for spending a lot of time to kind of, you know, he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge. And that's, you know, something, something that you have to keep in mind. Um, you may get to the manufacturer's rep uh, locally, and they might, they might have limited knowledge. Uh, They might not, you know, they might be able to help you out, and they might be great guys, but they might have a limitation on the knowledge that they can give you. Uh, So it's not uh, uncommon for you to say, "Okay, you know what? Let's take another step. Let's take it another step up, and go directly to the manufacturer." So the manufacturer is going to have an engineering department that's going to be able to support designers out there uh, with more complicated questions. If you have a real detailed question that you need an answer to. you can contact the manufacturer directly, typically, and uh, you know you can get some good information. And again, Chris was Chris was nice enough to you know uh, go over some things uh, with me. Um, so typically, what he said about the flow control roof drains, um, you know, you can reduce the pipe size a little bit. Um, and typically, the the problem is is that they've been around for a while. They've been around since probably the uh, you know sixties or seventies, but only, you know, several, you know, there's there's cities, there's uh, a very regional need for these. Again, because of the systems, because of the, you know, certain things that uh, the stormwater management, uh, uh, stormwater people can actually handle, or whether it's combined, you know, sewer um, with storm. So several cities have mandated that flow control be used in some, uh, in some regards. Uh, it might not be, you know, very deep. Uh, they might have different requirements. This is where you're going to have to do your own homework. Um, but it still requires, again, the secondary roof drain drainage system, so you don't get away with that. Um, what, they really, what he explained is that these, again, these are like, it's a cone inside a standard roof drain. Uh, and what this does is it allows you to set an overflow height. And maximum buildup rates. So they can have different uh, weir openings. So they have, uh, you know, the same cone can be uh, different uh, weir settings. So typically one weir might handle 10 gallons. And so you're able to kind of dial that up um, to three or four weirs um, and a maximum height of three inches of retainage. And this is on a flat roof. Um, If you're doing a slope roof, then you can get up to six inches. Um, but again, uh, the overflow has to be set at the maximum. So some of the areas that uh, you know, where are they used? New York City uh, uses a lot of these. Chicago, um, some cities in Wisconsin. It's it's more of a standard. But again, it's not it's not everywhere. Um, you know, obviously most most often you can use the retention tank, uh, and you can use that with uh, you know the reuse of that um, reuse of that water. So I think – but yeah, I found it interesting, you know, it's with, with setting the WEIR and as a, a commissioning authority, um, setting this WEIR is one of those things where I'm like, does the contractor really know? I mean, what, what, is, what is it? Um, because your submittals really have to show the number of WEIR openings. So it, it can be changed in the field, um, obviously, um, with, with uh, a certain, uh, certain settings. Certain of the the drain bodies can be changed and manipulated. Um, engineers also is ultimately responsible for checking the settings. And again, as a commissioning authority, that's something that I'd want to be up on too to make sure that not only were they installed and set right, um, that you could you know actually um, you know make sure that uh, that that you know the contractor is doing what they need to do, and that we don't have a a collapse a breach because it was set too high. Um, or it's not actually fulfilling the requirements of code, and it's set too low. So that was that was pretty much it on the the flow control devices. Um, you know, coincidentally, he said that that there's a lot of backwater sewage valves that are used in systems like this. You know, so again, you know, in situations where you don't want that kind of coming back in your building, because an overflow is just, you know. In a system, an overflow can be just about anywhere, um, and it can back up depending on where you're located in the system. You, your building, could end up being that overflow, uh, and that is the last thing that you want in your basement is, you know, overflow raw sewage. That is not going to be good. So, a lot of backwater valves to make sure that okay, you know, the waste is going out and it's not coming back in. All right, so we go jump to siphonic roof drains. Siphonic roof drains—you um, can use, you, you, I guess, you could use it as a flow control um, device because you really can calculate the desired flow. Um, you know, these been these have been used uh, again. Uh, it's it's a newer technology. Um, well, I say a newer technology in the U.S. It's been around since about two thousand six. Um, Europe has been using this uh, since the nineteen seventies, but. It, really, what you do is you have uh, you have a system, and the the siphonic system is you can have a max drop of about thirty to forty feet, uh, so it's limited on how far you can drop with the system uh, because you have the lower pressure, you have faster velocity, so you're going to have some sort of some uh, impact and some you know some system um, system impact with that. So. You want to be able to calculate the, you know, the pressure drop and the flow rate on this. The thing about it is, is that a lot of the uh, systems are calculated using software. Most manufacturers have these software, but it really is a trial and error because you have to kind of balance the system so no one section of the roof runs out of water before another um, because then you lose kind of the, the, the siphon effect. Um You know, it's really the and the whole system is really geared for uh, low-rise, low-rise buildings with large roofs. Um, But you can really have some substantial savings, uh, forty to fifty percent. You know, on the piping. Um, You know, and again, this is one of the benefits is is that with a a siphon system, you don't have to slope the piping. So if you have situations where, you know, piping slope may be an issue, maybe a siphonic system might be something that that you'd really want. that you'd really want to uh, investigate a little bit more. So the drain has an air baffle, and the, you know, the pipes are self-priming. So you really you use 100% of uh, the pipe, and that's the whole goal, is you not only have the pipe, but you have the pipe, and it's self-priming. So it's, it's really you know getting sucked uh, with a lower pressure, getting sucked down faster velocity, and uh, it really uh, does, again, reduce the size of the pipe. Things that you have to watch out for, uh, the piping layout, you know, because you're using uh, manufacturer software, the piping layout has to match the si- software design. Any change of the piping layout, and this has to be noted in the drawings, you know, um, they really have to be brought back to the engineer to be recalculated to make sure it's okay. Um, so, uh that's it. You can actually use them for high-rise buildings, uh, he was mentioning, um, but you really need to basically what you end up doing. Um, and you can have a kind of a hybrid system. You, you could have a, uh, a siphonic system for a certain amount of time uh, or a cer- certain drop and then go into your standard system. Um, that's okay. You just have to kind of vent, you know, provide a vent at that connection point. Um, yeah, so you can add uh, basically air back into the system. All right. Well, I hope that was um, educational. I hope that you learned something. If you didn't know what blue roofs were, if you didn't know that there were um, you know, flow control drains, roof drains, if you didn't know there were siphonic systems out there, maybe there's a couple of different things you can kind of do your own research and, and investigate. Some of the uh, things over at J.R. Smith, um, they do have some uh, uh, you know videos that you can use. Um, and, and take a look at and see exactly how these different systems operate. So, thanks so much for listening. If you know anybody who's looking for more information like this, consider passing this episode along. I really appreciate it. If you're not a subscriber, consider joining my growing community of people just like you over at HVAC360.com for some more weekly goodness. And lastly, I'd be greatly honored if you go over to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating review. If you uh, also, I would say go over to YouTube and subscribe there, even if you listen to the podcast normally just through your your podcast, uh, podcast app. So, all right, that's a wrap for this week and this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.